If you'll turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4, we are going to finish up our study of 1 Timothy. We spent a few weeks here uh, looking at uh, orphans and the Bible, what the Bible commands with regards to our care towards orphans. Uh, the compassion table will be out in the fellowship hall for the next, next couple weeks as an option of a way to love on, minister to orphans. Uh, as I, we said, like we said, it's, it's going to look a lot differently in all of our lives. That is one way. That is one way. And remember, the, the, the look that we took at orphan care was in the context of First Timothy, and specifically 3.16. Three, chapter 3, verse 16, really, or 15, really sums up the key verse of the letter to First Timothy. He said, Paul says, I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of truth. The church exists to be a pillar, to be a supporter of truth. And Paul is writing to Timothy, a young pastor, and he's teaching him, instructing him how to set up the church, how to set up the church in in an orderly way, and specifically... He tells him things to be on guard on, on guard towards. And what what he says specifically, the main thing he says to guard against is false teaching. False teaching. The the church at Ephesus faced many issues inside the church, from outside the church, from culture, and so do we. And one of the biggest enemies that a church will face is, is false teaching. And again, these are primarily individuals who are inside the church. False teaching, in, every, in nearly every single letter in the New Testament, the writer mentions false teaching. I would bet if we were to, if we were to make a list of the things that threaten the health, threaten the solidarity of a church today, I would bet that false teaching would not be in our top five. And that's really what makes it so dangerous. It creeps in unknowingly. It creeps in subtly. It creeps in in very small ways. And then it grows. Starts off very small, disguised. And before you know it, it's taken over. We live in a culture where doctrines that we as a church have agreed upon unilaterally and and unwaveringly for hundreds of years, all of a sudden, they're up for grabs. False teaching inside and outside the church. Churches are embracing doctrines today that that the the church, when I say church, the, the church is the body of Christ. It is believers in Jesus Christ. It is individuals who have been forgiven of their sin debt through the blood of Jesus Christ. You become a, a member of the church, the body of Christ truths that the Bible are very clear on, and now in order to fit in culture, we're balking at these things. False teaching. And what Paul does here to Tim, for Timothy is he instructs him here, specific, specifically in chapter 4, in how to deal with this false teaching, how to avoid the effects of false teaching. And that's what I want to look at today. I want to I cover the whole chapter and and. and if we are not believers who are grounded in God's Word, 
If we're not believers who are sure of what we believe, if we're not sure why we believe it, if we cannot defend what and why we believe, if we're not, if we're not aware of false teachers, if we're not able to, because we know truth, if we're not able to pick out Satan and his schemes, then, then what Paul says today is the tendency for each of us is to drift away. The tendency for each of us is to be picked off by Satan. To be deceived about what we believe, to be deceived about what is truth, even to be deceived about whether we're believers. Don't, that's a possibility as well. To, to, the great deception there is to let you think that you're a believer in Jesus Christ when you're not really a believer in Jesus Christ. That's the greatest deception. We see that in the Bible as well. And, and it all goes back to being grounded in truth. We as a church exist to be a pillar and a supporter of truth. God's word, truth. John 17, 17, your word is truth. Every single word. We believe in the verbal, plenary. That's a fancy way of saying the fullness. We believe we're so foolish as to say in the world's eyes that we believe that every single word of this Bible is true. Nothing's changed. In Paul's day, the gospel, he says the gospel was foolishness. To say that we believe in a Bible that, say, that tries to define marriage, defines sexuality, defines the things that the world wants to know, they say you're foolish to believe that. Okay, in your eyes, not in God's eyes. The Bible says the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are receiving it, it's the words of life. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds and the hearts of the unbelieving. Why does the world not heed the gospel, believe the gospel, receive the gospel? Because Satan has deceived them. He's blinded their the eyes, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. There's a battle. We have a real enemy. Truth is at stake. The gospel is at stake. And that's what I want us to see today. And you see on your handout, the main point, main point that I want to I want to build upon is this. We must discipline ourselves to prioritize God's word in our lives and submitting our lives to the word in order to prevent, from, prevent us from being led astray. We've got to prioritize God's word. We've got to prioritize aligning our lives underneath God's word, not sitting in judgment over God's word, but sitting in subjection to God's word. Not coming to God's Word and saying, hey, let me see what it says and then I'll decide whether I want to obey it or not. No, it's coming to God's Word and with a heart that says no matter what it says, no matter what it costs, I'm going to seek to submit my life to what I see there. Why? Because your Word is truth. Because all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God, the woman of God, may be a thoroughly equipped, adequate Complete for every good work. It only comes through the Word of God. And there's some very, when, when we read this, there's some very stark realities, stark truths in this chapter. Our text today offers truth to avoid being led astray, to avoid drifting. But the great reality is this. We all know people. And it may, as the future unfolds, it may be some of you, it may be that, that, that will not be here in a year will not worship with us in two years, maybe not in six months. Why? Because you've been led astray. 
I would bet all of us know people who once claimed allegiance or solidarity to Jesus Christ and now they're nowhere to be found. Living lives that are in complete opposite to the truths of God. How'd that happen? That's what we're going to talk about today. The Bible is very clear about false teachers, very clear about false truths, very clear about the reality of being led astray. And, and the battle, the battle that, the, that we all face, the tendency that we all face is to start trusting in self, to quit relying totally on the Word of God, to day by day drift away from the Word of God, and then you're led astray. And if we're going to avoid that, it's going to require tremendous discipline. It's going to require tremendous diligence on our part if we're to stand firm in our faith. We're going to have to discipline ourselves to be strong in the Word of God, to know what we believe, to know why we believe it, and to be able to defend it. And, and I want to show us that today from the text. I want to let Paul speak, as always, and, and to show us not only why we need discipline, but how we become disciplined. Look with me at verses 1 through 5. Read, read this in the context of this question on your handout. Why do we need to be disciplined? Why do we need to be disciplined? But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. By means of hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, Here's a couple of examples of false teaching. Men who forbid marriage. Men who advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to, to be gratefully shared with those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. Text is very clear the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away. So why do we need discipline? The A there is because we're in a spiritual war. Please hear that. We are in a spiritual war. Throughout Scripture, you see time and time again, it is God versus Satan, good versus evil. That battle rages in our hearts, it rages in our minds. The battle to live according to your own flesh, I mean your own wisdom, versus God's wisdom, it's a battle. Self versus spirit, flesh versus spirit. Whose glory will we live for? God's glory, our own glory? It's a battle. Every single day there's a battle. And the question is, which will we choose? There, there's a war going on for our allegiance, for our children's allegiance. In our text, it makes it very clear that this battle rages from Christ's ascension into heaven until His second coming. That's what Paul is referring to there when he says in later days. He's talking about now. He's talking about every day from when Christ ascended to heaven until He comes again, people will fall away from the faith. There will be a war going on. Right now, you and I live in the middle of a spiritual war for our allegiance, for our perseverance. And the Bible is very clear. Many will be led astray during these days. Our times are full of deceitful spirits, deceitful doctrines. And Paul is saying, Timothy, don't be ignorant of this fact. Know that there is a battle. And, and, and all of Scripture, all of Scripture makes that very clear. 
1 Peter 5, 8. Be of sober spirit on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking, seeking, it says, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your what? Your faith, knowing that the same experience of sufferings are being accomplished by believers all over the world. Suffering. A battle. Ephesians, Ephesians 5.15, it says, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Ephesians 6.12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. You, your kids, your relatives, your neighbors. Listen, Satan seeks to steal, to kill, and destroy. Whether they're the pastor's kids, whether they're your kids, listen to me. Satan wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy them. He wants to devour them. And how does he do it? He deceives them. He deceives them about who they are. He deceives them about who God is. He deceives them about the gospel. Deception. Why, why we need to be vigilant. Why, vigilant why, we need, why we need to know the word of God well. So that we can pick out the lies. So that we understand that God is good no matter what. That we understand the gospel. That we understand why, why we believe this word is the only inerrant and infallible word. And not the Koran. And not the Book of Mormon. And all these other false gods and religions that are out there why have we the issue boils down to truth it's not preference it's not well that's good for you and this is good for me the issue is truth why can't we accept these other religions because they contradict what this bible says about who jesus christ is and it can't be both and there's truth John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus Christ has singularly eliminated all other ways to get to God except through himself. One way. Do, do our kids, do you really believe that? Do our kids really believe that? Can they defend that? Do they, do they really have a conviction about sin? Do they have really have a conviction about the gospel? All of these are the battlegrounds where Satan is, is, is waging war. And all of these are spoken to by the truth of God's word. And what it boils down to is this. Is it going to be our wisdom or God's wisdom? Are we going to live according to our wisdom? Are we going to submit ourselves to God's wisdom? H how are we going to build our lives? How is somebody saved from the penalty of their sin? These are issues of truth, not preference. Truth. That's what it boils down to. And, and, and then Paul is very clear to Timothy, in this war, there will be casualties. Listen, the great fear I have is that my children will be one of those casualties, that your children will be one of those casualties. Why are we trying to hire a family pastor so, to prevent our children from being one of those casualties? To prevent their parents from being those casualties. 
Because we're in a war. But, but not only we're in a war, Paul says, without discipline, some will fall away from the faith. And, and here's where it gets very personal and startling. The battle that he speaks to is within the church. It's within the church. We oftentimes think our enemies are out there. No, no, no. Satan is coming in here. He wants to get in here and wage the war. Secretly moving about in our midst. Deceiving people into thinking that there's something that they're not. To think they're believers when they're really not. Deceiving people into to, to downplaying the importance of God's word. Deceiving people into thinking that they know the word better than they do. To, to deceiving people into thinking that, well, I, I prayed a prayer on August 5th, 1928, and so I'm good. That, that, that's deception. Distorting the gospel. Putting forth truth that's not truth. And the reality is if we don't know truth, if we don't have the truth of God's word, Colossians 3.16, richly dwelling in us, we have nothing to compare it to, so we believe whatever we hear. Some will fall away. And without discipline, without maturity of doctrine, without knowing the Bible well, without growing to maturity, as believers, some will be led astray by these false teachers. And it will be people sitting in here today. Great possibility. Your kids, my kids. It's a war. And, and this is clear all throughout Scripture. All throughout Scripture that, that there will be in later days, he says, some will fall away in 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will, destructively, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of, them, the, because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words, their judgment from long ago not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. You can go to Jude 3 and 4. Many false teachers whose destruction was set out beforehand. Second, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, Paul says, and their talk will spread like gangrene, talking about false teachers. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place and they upset the sum of the faith. 1 John 2.19, they went out from us, but they weren't really of us. Why? Because they didn't return. All throughout, I could go on and on and on within the church. And that's why, that's why we're adamant here about regarding the Word of God and to, to preaching the Word of God. Everything goes back to the Word of God. The war is over truth. It's over gospel. It's over the Word. Look at, look at chapter, I mean, verse 3. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from certain foods. That Listen, that's rampant today. Prevent, pro, uh, prohibiting marriage. Can't eat certain foods. Can't drink certain things. All that tied to salvation, it's not. And, and what Paul is saying here and what he's teaching us is this. The battle oftentimes, and always been like this, centers around God and His attributes and His character, but specifically His goodness. You go all the way back to Genesis 3. What did, God, what did Satan question Adam and Eve about with regards to God, His goodness? Can't argue with his sovereignty. 
Can't argue with his power, but is he good? And, and one of the ways, many times, where this battle is raged is people are led, led astray through trials and through suffering. And if we've not settled the issue of God's goodness before we get in a trial, before we get into suffering, listen to me, Satan's going to whisper all kinds of lies in your ear about the goodness of God. If he really loved you, he'd have never let this happen. If he was really sovereign, he would have never let this happen. They're all lies. And they're all combated by the truth of God's word that says he works all things out according to the good of those who love him, to those who are called by his purpose. Only believers get to claim that promise. And the good that he's working all these things out to is the, that he's conforming you, verse 30, to the image of his son, the image of Christ, who, by the way, did what? He suffered and died. You go to 2 Peter chapter 2, it says that Christ, leaving for you an example of how to suffer. How to suffer. And, and what he's saying is be on the alert. Your adversary prowls around like a roaring lion. Even that passage is in the context of suffering. It's in the context of a battle. It's in the context of, of even gratitude. Here in our own, our own verses, it talks about received with gratitude. Our, that's why we've talked about over and over again about, about forgetting and forgetfulness, how it's a breeding ground for pride and arrogance, contempt, lack of gratitude, all in just simply forgetting. And that's, in all, of our, that's all of our tendency. And what Paul is saying is this, we have to know God's word in order to not be deceived about his goodness. We've got to know. We've got it to be settled. God is good. I mean, you, you go over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Difficult times will come, but realize this in the last days, difficult times will come. And listen to what will happen during the, today. These are today. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal haters of God, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a, listen to this, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men. Holding to a form of godliness... Maybe that's confusing Christianity with morality. Maybe that looks like confusing Christianity with just being a good person. Maybe that's confusing Christianity with, I'll do all these things on my own strength, when Christianity, God is saying, no, no, I'm going to put my spirit in you, and I'm going to do them in my strength. Because Chris Basham, you can't imitate me, but guess what? God can imitate himself really good. He's really good at being God. And so he says, I'll come dwell in you, and if you'll yield your life to me, if you'll surrender your life to me by the word of God, Colossians 3.16, richly dwelling in you, Ephesians 5.18, that he would begin to control you. He says, I'll live through you and I'll obey through you. That's what Jeremiah 31.31 31 prophesied. That's what Ezekiel 36.26 and following prophesied. I'll put my spirit in you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes. Because clearly an external letter of the law does not allow you to obey God. You sin. Romans 7, the law is holy. But guess what it does? It points out our sin. We can't do it, but God can do it in us. 
And when we, when we starve ourselves of the word, when we starve ourselves of the very power source, we get what we get. We lose the battle. People are led, away, led astray because they're immature. And, and interestingly enough, again, even in our own text, twice Paul mentions gratitude. Twice. Go back to your salvation. Go back to what, what, what Christ did for you. And remember, that's why we take the Lord's Supper every month. As often as you do this, do this what? In remembrance of me. Why? Because we tend to forget. We tend to grow cold. And the pathway, you see it on your, your handout, the path away from God is the path of ingratitude. Simple ingratitude. You look at Romans 12, you look at Romans 1, 21. For though they know God, they did not choose to worship God or give thanks to God. And what was the result? God gave them over to the passions and the lusts and the sin of their heart. Simple ingratitude. Jude 16 says the same thing. Simple ingratitude. If we're going to persevere, if we're not going to be led away, led astray, we're going to have to be grateful for the gospel. And we're going to have to be disciplined. We're going to be disciplined so that we're not led astray. And that's the bottom line. And, and that is why we gather as a church. That is why the Word of God is so important. That's why our gatherings are so important. We're trying to prevent each of us from being led astray. We're trying to hide God's Word in your heart in, in every chance we get. Why? So that you can recognize Satan and his schemes, you can recognize the adversary, and you won't be led astray, and your kids won't be led astray. But it's going to boil down to discipline. It's going to boil down to hiding God's Word in your heart every chance you get. And listen, my kids are not immune to it. Your kids are not immune to it. It's grounding ourselves in God's Word. It's grounding ourselves in the Gospel. It's understanding that as believers, we're not, we're not just saved by the Gospel. Listen, I live every day of my life because of the Gospel. Every day. All of our obedience flows out of the gospel. It's not something that we check a box and then we set that aside. No, the gospel dictates everything about Chris Basham, or at least that's my desire. Listen, I sin, trust me. Ask Karen, ask Barbara. But, but it goes back to the gospel. What, why does loving your enemies make sense? Because of the gospel. Why does dying daily to self make sense? Because of the gospel. Why does serving the orphan make sense? Because of the gospel. You see, it's all fueled in what God has done for us, not in what I can do for God. It's fueled in what God did for me. But if I forget what God's done for me, guess what? There's no energy to, to respond because I start thinking that I'm good and I start thinking that I got this and I start thinking confusing morality and avoiding big sins for Christianity. That's not Christianity. It's not. We need discipline. Because Satan wants to steal, to kill, and destroy each and every one of you. And he wants to do that to your kids. The need for discipline. But not only the need for discipline, how we're to seek discipline. 
Look at verse 6. And pointing out these things to you, brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Here's how. Constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of sound doctrine which you have been following. But have nothing to do with worldly fables only fit for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance, for it is for this we labor and strive. Because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of y'all men, especially of believers. Paul lays it out right there. If we're, if we're going to be a people who are not led astray, if our children are going to be a people who are not led astray, Paul just gave us the blueprint right there. And listen, nothing, nothing, nothing can replace the hard work of developing maturity in Christ and discipline in the Christian life. You'll never accidentally know this word well. You'll never accidentally hide this word in your heart. You'll never, it won't happen. It's not going to happen. Just not, you don't accidentally lose 20 pounds. You don't accidentally wake up one day, man, I'm buff. How'd that happen? Not a problem I have, by the way. You know, you don't accidentally get a master's degree. You don't accidentally, man, I just cured cancer. How in the world did that happen? And yet, as Christians, we think that we're going to accidentally mature. Nothing else in life comes that way. Great, Great athletes, they didn't accidentally become great. Discipline, hard work, they made it a priority. And the reality is, if we're honest, we want quick fixes. We want maturity and five, we want godliness and we want maturity and we, we, God, you got five minutes to do it. That's why billions are spent every year on conferences and seminars. You walk away from them for about a week on a high, and then you're right back where you were. Why? Because that ain't the cure. Have this, have this spiritual experience. Come here, and you'll have a new joy in the Lord for about a week. It'll last for about a week. You'll be back. Be back where you were. We, we want quick, easy fixes. We don't want discipline. I mean, you watch the infomercials, I laugh at these things they put out there, and I'm not going to name them because you might have them. These exercise things that it's like in five minutes a day, if you just do, I'm like, what? They know you got to be a fool to buy that. My kid, and I've poisoned my kids. They, I'm like, don't believe anything you see on TV, son, Sarah, don't do it. They're like, does that really work? Nope. Does that toy really do that? Nope. <laughs> Listen, you ain't, getting, you ain't losing that weight in five minutes a day. You ain't doing it. Discipline. You didn't, that dude didn't get those arms doing that right there. No, he did not. We'd all, every guy in here would have great arms if it was that easy. All of us would have great abs if all we had to do was sit there and watch the television and bend up and down and up machine five minutes and then move on. No, it didn't come. You, look, you didn't lose your abs that way and you ain't getting them back that way. Discipline. Discipline, but we want, in all of life, we want an easy fix. 
We want an easy way, and godliness, listen to me, godliness does not come easily. It comes with hard work. Look what he says here. You see on your handout. Pathway to godliness, to discipline, to maturity. A, be constantly nourished on the Word of God. Six times in ten verses, Paul mentions the Word of God. Verse 6, constantly nourished on the Word of faith. Verse 7, Word of faith. Verse 11, prescribe these and teach these things. Again, pointing to the Word of God. Verse 13, until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to the exhortation and teaching. Verse 15, take pains with these things. Be absorbed so that progress will be evident to all. Verse 16, pay close attention to your teaching. If we were, for the sake of time, we won't, but if you flipped over to 2 Timothy 4, Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God, I guess we will, and Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, by his appearing, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Preach the word. If we were to go back to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and following, why did he give some as teachers, pastors and teachers? Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints through the work of the service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Listen, to a mature man, to the measure of stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Here's why. Here's why we need maturity. As a result of your maturity, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried out about by every wind of doctrine and the trickery of men who by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Grow up. Maturity. Hard work. What, what happens is you can stand attacks. You can pick out the enemy. 2 Peter 3.18 says, grow up in the grace of our Lord. Grow up. We're not just saved by grace. We're to grow up in respect to that same grace. If you would go over to 2 Peter 2.1, he says, like newborn babies, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. And he says that that is the only way you'll attain maturity is by the pure milk of the word. He says, putting aside all malice, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. And again, Peter writing to Christians, interesting what he says, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. That's a big if. Why? Because some are going to be deceived. Bottom line, babies don't seasonally drink milk. Babies don't take as little milk as they could possibly get and see how quick they can. And then, no, no, they want milk. Multiple times a day, milk. That's the only way they grow. And listen, the Word is the only way we're going to grow. And, and you see it on your handout. There, why? There's no other way to grow to be spiritually mature apart from the Word richly dwelling in you. Now, and the Word disciplines us to other disciplines, prayer, meeting together, all these other things, but it comes from the Word. Psalm 119, 9 through 16. How can a young way keep his way pure? By what? By the Word of God richly dwelling in you, by meditating on his statutes. And guess what he says there? The more you read the Word, the more you begin to love the Word. 
Same way you fell in love with your spouse. You spent time with them. The more you spend time with them, you begin to fall more and more in love with them. How do you develop a taste for the Word? Read the Word. You say, I don't want to read the Word. Here's my read the Word. Over time, you know what you'll do? You'll begin to love the Word. I don't want to take those nasty pills the doctor gives me, but over time, you know what it does? It cures me. You say, well, I don't want to read the Word. That right there could be a problem. Why don't you want to read the Word? Ask yourself. You learn, to, you learn to love the Word. You fall in love with the Word by reading the Word. But discipline. You know, I have a, a fixed to be a seventh grader and trying to d- help him and Sarah Grace to be disciplined to read the Word on a, on a daily basis and not just reading it to see how quickly they can read it and then move on to something else. But read it, and then I want you to write a paragraph in your own words to tell me what you read. And it sounds harsh. It, it can, they, they think, I, I mean, you'd think I'm doing something awful to them, but it's disciplining them to remember what they read. God's not impressed by you just saying, hey, I read Ephesians 1 today, and you don't know what it said. He don't, he's not impressed by that. He's imp- he wants you to hide it in your heart. I didn't know what you read. You know, you go to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 and following. Listen to what it says. It says, Concerning him, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have a need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of God of righteousness. For he is an infant. But listen, but solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. No no athlete, ask Jackson Miller, phenomenal football player. He don't like practice, but he loves playing well. And how do you play well in the games? By practice. And there's these guys called coaches who know better than those players. And so they say, the only way you're going to play well in the game is if you practice during the week. So I'm going to mandate that you come to practice. Why? Because on Friday night when he scores a touchdown, I guarantee you Jackson's glad he went to practice. Esther's son, AK, up at Furman. Practice. It's not natural. And the reality is, if you continue reading into chapter 6, the very next verse, Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith of God or instruction. He goes on to say, For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the word of God and the powers of ages come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance. Fall away. Deception. Lack of maturity. 1 Corinthians 3 says the same thing. I couldn't come to you, he says in chapter 3, as a spiritual man. I had to come to you as infants in Christ. Why? Because you weren't able to handle the milk of the Word. You needed somebody to feed you. And it's interesting there. He says, how do I know that you're immature? 
jealousy and strife. Not, not big sins, not murder, adultery, stealing. No, no, jealousy, strife. Go, in, go into a nursery and watch kids. Guess what? Guess what the issues are going to be? Jealousy and strife. Miss Pam will tell you she works in the nursery almost every day here, every Sunday. Miss Judy will tell you, you know what you're going to deal with? Jealousy and strife. I wanted that toy. He touched that toy. Listen, that's my life. I'm just dealing with adults. Jealousy and strife. He touched my toy. He did this. He did that. Like, grow up. Here's the thing. Kids fight over dumb things. I can't tell you how many times I say that to my kids. What you're fighting over is just dumb. It makes no sense. You know what adults do who grow up that lack spiritual maturity? We fight over dumb things. We make, we make big deals out of things that do not matter. Why? Jealousy and strife. Immaturity. Immaturity. It says it right there in the Word. Constantly, constantly nourished on the Word of God. The only way you're going to mature. But not only that, I've got to get going here. B, seek to obey what we see in the Word. Seek to obey the Word by faith. Look at verses 7 and 8. Have nothing to do with worldly fables, but discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things. And and again, in an effort to hear my heart here, but an effort to bring it home, I'll get real practical for a minute. I'm amazed that we as a body of believers, how we have all that we need, all the time, all the energy, all the resources to pursue the things of the world. We, we never miss a game. We never miss a practice. We never miss our shows. We never miss the gym. We're careful about what we eat. We're immensely disciplined at work and very successful at work. We're able to do great things everywhere, but then don't have time to read the Word of God. Claim to not have time to read the Word of God. We're disciplined in every other area of our life except the one that the word, Timothy says here, except the one that's going to last for eternity. That body that you spend all that time working out, I'm not against physical fitness. You ought to, be, you ought to try it. But guess what? It's going to pass away. Your ability to play that game is going to pass away. Your hair, that beautiful hair, is going to pass away. Guess what's not going to pass away? The Word of God. The grass fades, flower, the grass withers, the flowers fade, the Word of God endures forever. Why would we spend our time, more time, on something that's going to fade away than on something that's going to last forever? That's the question. And, and, and the reality is this. It's not that you don't have time. It's you don't have the desire. That's why you don't do it. You love the sports more than you love the Word. You love the, the money or whatever that these other things more than you love the Word of God. Maybe, maybe you work out because you love the praise of men more than you love the praise of God. It's not about time. It's about desire. And and here's the problem. If you starve yourself of something long enough, you know what happens to the desire? It goes away. 
It just goes away. That's the way it is with the Word of God. You starve yourself with the, of the Word of God. Listen to me. The desire to read the Word of God is going to go away. And it's like that in your own life. You take away something for long enough, you realize, oh, I didn't even need it after all. It goes away. And, and the reality is, is that many of us, as it says in Hebrews 5 and 1 Corinthians 3, we've been believers far too long to still have a childlike appetite when it comes to the Word of God. We can't handle a steak. We still need food mushed up, and we're still, we still need rice milk. And we're 15, we've been believers for 15 years. You ought, to be all, you ought to be teachers, the Scripture says. But why? You haven't disciplined yourself. And maybe, maybe the reason some of us don't care to read the Word of God is because maybe we've been deceived about who we are, about our own salvation. Maybe that's why we don't care. I mean, look at verse 9. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. Verse 10, For it is by this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living. There's nothing about labor and strive that says take it easy. Labor and strive. You go to 2 Peter 3, he, he talks about for his divine powers giving us everything we need for life and godliness, his precious promises. Verse 5, now for this reason, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, in your moral excellence, knowledge, in your knowledge, self-control, in your self-control, perseverance, in your perseverance, godliness, in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. Listen, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our God. For he who lacks these qualities, listen, is blind and short-sighted, having forgotten his purification for his former sins. Applying all diligence, twice he says. Make every effort. Hard work. Not let go and let God. No, 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 hard work. And again, not for your salvation, but in gratitude for having been saved. Seeking to grow up in respects to your salvation. And he's very clear, you're not going to be useful in the kingdom of God unless you've matured. I mean, it, it would be like me walking to a mechanic shop and offering to lend a hand. I know this much about mechanics. I would be useless. Matter of fact, I would do great harm if I worked on your car. But there are mechanics who have trained, disciplined, applied all diligence. They're working on your cars, supposedly. And again, if we want to be useful, grow up. You, I'm sure all of us parents, you've had your kids come up to you and they want to help. You know what that means? The project's going to take 35 minutes longer than it would have done if you were going to do it. Why? Because they're immature. We just had our air conditioner replaced, and I sat out there and watched the guy, and I wanted to jump in there and help. But look, I want the air to run, so I'm not going to help. The guy knows his stuff. I've been doing it for 20 years. So I'm talking to him and sharing the gospel with him and his workers, and I'm like, I'm glad you guys are doing this, not me. Why? Because he's been trained. From day one, he said he grew up doing this with his father. Trained. 
But not only constantly nourished, not only obeying, but look what he says. He says, verse 10, we fix our hope on the living God. The, the bottom line is focus. It's priority. It's desire. Godliness, listen, it's all about godliness. We want to show off our Savior. You see it on your handout. Godliness is seeking to center our lives on the things of God and His glory. And, and it's interesting. Look what he says. Verse 10. We do, look, at, he go, go down to verse 15, I'm sorry. He talked, take pains with these things, be absorbed in them. Absorbed, again, labor, strive, so that your progress be evident to all. Look at verse 16. Pay close attention to yourself and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Here's what I want us to realize real quickly as we close. Godliness matters not only for you, but it matters for others. I read a quote this week from a pastor that said that he tells his people all the time, the number one gift that he can give his sheep is his personal holiness. Seeking after God. Be absorbed with him. And in the reality, verse 16, uh, again, he's built on the word. He's built time and time. Give attention. Read the scriptures, the scriptures, the scriptures. And I, and I want to communicate something for us real quickly as we close. And very important. And if I'm not, if you're not listening carefully, you will misunderstand what I'm saying. Now, if you've not listened at all, or if you want to have, if, please listen now. If you've been half listening, just shut your ears. So you don't leave here and hear the wrong thing. Look, look at verse 16. Read it very carefully. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. My unwavering commitment to this word. Your unwavering commitment to this word. Has, much, has as much to do with grace in your own life as it does with grace in people like those around you. The doctrine, our gospel, God has offered it, and it is not only salvation for you, but it's salvation for the whole world. Especially, the Bible talks about those who have received it. Back up to verse 10. He is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Here's what I'm saying. You go to Matthew 5, it says, Let your light so shine before men that seeing your good deeds, they will glorify your Father in heaven. Others drawn to God through your life, through your obedience. And in some way or form, the salvation of those around us is at stake in the holiness of our lives and in the truthfulness of of our teaching. If me, now Paul is writing this Timothy, but I believe it goes way beyond Timothy. If I become lazy in my walk, if you become lazy in your walk, the consequences are that of your life, but they're also for those who are around you. 
And their salvation, God is using your life to lead them to salvation many times. And, I, and again, before you say, well, what about salvation by grace? Listen, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For it is by grace you are saved through faith and not of works, lest anyone would boast. Nobody's arguing that. We have been saved by grace. We will always be saved by grace. But 1 Timothy 4.16 does not contradict that. It is a confirmation because we stop at 2.8.9. But look at what it says in 2.10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. Listen, you see it on your handout. When a pastor or any other believer takes heed to his teaching, takes heed with, to discipline, all diligence, applying all diligence, obeys the Word of God. He's proving himself to be the workmanship of God and a new creature in Christ. He's proving it. But if we grow lazy, if we stray, we're proving the opposite. And there are consequences. Even in, even in 2 Peter, listen, listen to what he says in 2 Peter 1.10, after he talks about all those of diligence, all that applying effort. Therefore, brethren, he's talking about obedience, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. It's not about salvation. This is about proving that you're saved. This is about assuring giving assurance, your obedience, your willingness, your want to to follow the Word of God and apply the Word of God to your life gives you assurance that it is God who is at work in you, that you're His. The opposite is true. To not read, to not study, to not obey, at the very least, you forfeit that confidence of feeling secure. Go read 1 John. That's what he talks about over and over again. Obedience and confidence, obedience and confidence. he's not saying that you have to be uncertain all the time about your faith, but he's saying, look at your life. I mean, Paul in 2 Timothy 1.12, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I believed in and persuaded that he is able to guard those who entrusted to me until that day. Paul's assurance is not based on taking faithfulness away. And, it's not, and, and so that personal holiness doesn't matter. His assurance was based on the power of God's grace to keep him that God was able to guard, and therefore he obeyed. You look at Hebrews 12, 14, strive for holiness. You look at Philippians 2, just for a second. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. So then, my beloved, just as you always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now... Much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is, if you stop there, it looks like it's man-centered, but look at verse 13. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. The working out of your salvation is proof that God is working in you. And what I'm challenging us with this is this. Grace is no excuse to be lazy or remain immature in your walk with Christ. We're saved by grace. That in no way allows us to be lazy or undisciplined in our walk. We ought to be the most grateful people in all the world 
as believers. And that grace, again, even in Romans 12, we've quoted so many times, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, the grace of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. What did grace do? Grace, grace commanded, but it also provided the means where Paul spent his life giving glory to that gospel by which he had been saved. And my point is this, much is at stake, the scripture makes it very clear, much is at stake in how we respond and how we discipline ourselves in accordance to the gospel and accordance to godliness. Much is at stake, not only for our lives, but for those around us. We are in a battle over truth. We're in a battle over the gospel and eternity is at stake. And the priority of God's word the priority of the disciplines of this word, the obedience, is to assure that we don't fall away, that we don't wander away. And it's only going to come through discipline. Listen, again, if you have no desire to read or study the word, no desire for holiness, no seriousness about your walk with Christ, I would beg you to ask yourself some real, real tough questions, some real serious Honest, seeking questions. And they would go along the lines of this. Is it possible that I'm deceived about who I am in Christ? Is it po- Maybe that's not the case, but is it possible you've starved yourself of the Word of God to the point where you don't desire it anymore? And you're ripe for deception. You're ripe for being led astray. Listen, Satan wants to deceive. He's got a myriad of workers out there who want to deceive. Blinding, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the minds and the hearts of the unbelieving. But even deceiving us with regards to the gospel. Maybe the answer is this. Maybe maybe your answer is this. You have to confess to God that you've been okay with immaturity way too long. You've settled for far less in the Christian life than what God's grace provides. 2 Peter 1.3, seeing that His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. It may be a misappropriation. It may be taking God's grace and using it for yourself instead of His glory. I would challenge you to ask God to deal with whatever He reveals, honestly. And if you're here today and you know that you're a believer, here's what I would tell you. That same grace that saved you commands and empowers you to pursue godliness. Christ in you, the hope of glory. To pursue, the, to pursue with everything you've got, more than you pursue anything else in this life, pursue God's grace and pursue the glory of the gospel, to grow up in all respects of that grace, more than anything else in your life. Because everything else is going to fall away. Everything else is going to disappear, not the Word of God. Everything else, is all these other disciplines are only good for a season. 1 Timothy 4, 7, godliness is good for all seasons. 